what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you. My friends, near or far, those of you who are part of our Cornerstone community, some of you maybe even joining us for the very first time, that's you. I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco, and I'm so thankful you are with us. You know, we're starting into our new year now, building, building into this new series called Healthy Love. It's our second week in it. And uh, when we talked about our goals and how we hope it'll be a transformative time for all of us as we share it together in these coming weeks and months. But, well, today I want to explore the source of Christian love. I want to talk about the spring from which it flows. So if we can, I want to have us read again the entire chapter, the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll just kind of move through it fairly quickly. But you'll notice that those opening three verses are talking about some intense stuff. It's making quite a statement here about how even the deepest spirituality, even the deepest sacrifice for the Lord, if it is not anchored in love, it's, it's lost its meaning. So this needs to get our attention. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just words, loud words. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, a person of great insight, and if I have all faith, think about it, so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and then the greatest thing I can ever give, and I, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And then we're told what love looks like. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It says love never ends, right? It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, well, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then Paul says, but when the perfect comes and the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then someday face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to sit with this some more. But Lord, even now, we just want to say our heart is open to you. We want to be open to your overtures of love for us. We also want to be open to having a better understanding of how your love can flow through our lives and touch other people, how it can help us to see ourselves in the right way, to have a better self-understanding, to love ourselves in a proper way so that then we can love others in the Jesus way. So if there is anything that we just need to lay aside right now. We want to do that. We want to give you the gift of our attentiveness. 
We want to come before you with humility of spirit. So speak to us, Lord, in the time that we have, the time that we're sharing. I just ask that as we break the bread of your word, that it would be alive to us and in us. That is what I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want you to be blessed. I do. Now, the Bible reminds us, and this is a, a good portion of scripture, a good little passage to read in connection with 1 Corinthians 13, but the Bible reminds us in 1 John 4, well, we'll call it 15 through 17. It says this, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. And by the way, if you haven't put your trust in his love, do it. Just say, Lord, I, I come to you, my broken, lost self, my, my sinful self, and I bring myself to you. And I want to trust my life to you and your love. I want to accept what you've done for me and receive you as my Savior and confess you as my Lord and start to not only articulate a faith in you, but also begin to align my life with the things that you, you taught me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've put our trust in his love. And then we're told, this is an amazing statement, John 1, 1 John, 1 John 4, 16, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Think about that. God is love. And as we live in God, well, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment when we're held account for how we live and what we've done with the invitation of Christ. But we can face him with confidence. And look at this last phrase. This is from the NLT version, but it says, because we live like Jesus here in this world, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. I would love for us to pay particular attention to that last phrase because we live like Jesus here in this world. Think about that. You know, as followers of Jesus, one of our primary goals, and it's what 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to describe, that this is what healthy love in its highest form looks like. And that this is in part what it looks like to live like Jesus here in this world. Do you see the connection? And let's understand, and this is so important, that the way we live and love like Jesus. I'll just call that the Jesus way. And love like the way that is being described in 1 Corinthians 13 that we just read about. The way that happens, the way we live and love like him, the way we, we have 1 Corinthians 13 come alive in us is to have more of Jesus at work in us. So it, maybe I, I could put it in a slightly different way. It's not... The goal, the goal is not to be more loving. What? What are you saying, Pastor Terry? Yeah, the, the goal is not to become more loving. That's not bad, but it won't work so well because it doesn't have enough strength. This doesn't, doesn't have the ability to deliver on the good intention. No, our goal is to be more than a loving person. Our goal is to become a Christ-infused, spirit-filled, loving person who does these things naturally. Because 
It's not something we're trying to do. It's because it's something we are increasingly are at our core level. You know, I just want to say that one more time. It's about becoming a Christ-infused, spirit-filled, loving person who naturally does the things that are described in 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Things that Jesus does. Because it's increasingly who we are at the core. So I'm not trying to be a loving person. I'm trying to have Christ grow in my life in such a way that these qualities of love flow out of my life just as naturally as breathing. Now that's a goal. And it's, it's something we need to pursue with intention. But just if I can say it even in one more different way, it's about becoming more of a person filled with his love so that the more of him that is in me, because God is love, and Christ is God's love for us, so that what the reality of Christ in me flows out as a natural fruit connected to the root. It's not something that's a product as much of human effort, though I've seen human effort look pretty good at times. But we're talking about a far more profound dynamic, aren't we? We're talking about more of Christ Jesus in our lives to such a degree that these things naturally flow out, that the fruit of our life is connected to the root of our life. You know, and, and there are things that we can do to help make that happen. And, and I'm going to share a few of those things towards the end of the teaching time that we're, we're sharing together here. But I, I want to shift it a little bit over. Some of us are familiar with C.S. Lewis, for example. Great, I mean, an amazing thinker, uh, reluctant convert to Christ who ends up changing the world for Jesus. He's written such amazing books, Mere Christianity. One of his, his is just one of the most famous of them all, but there's, there's a number of them. Another one that's often quoted and talked about is called The Four Loves. The Four Loves is actually a book that was written in 1960 by Lewis. And it explores the nature of love from a Christian and philosophical perspective. And I was reading an article from uh, actually Focus on the Family who, well, they captured the impact of C.S. Lewis's book and how it talks about love in this way. They said, a few years before the Beatles recorded their classic song, all you need is love. All you need is love, right? C.S. Lewis wrote one of his last books. It was called The Four Loves. And in it, he sought to present a balanced portrait of the different aspects of love, all of them created by God. And he used various Greek words that either appear in the Bible or, or else embody a biblical facet of love. You know, the English word love covers a multitude of relationships. We love God, we love our spouse, we love our kids, we love our friends, we love our dog, we, our cat, <laughs> our favorite food, our favorite beverage, coffee, <laughs> or movie, or seasons of the year. By contrast, though, he, the, the article suggested that the ancient Greeks had a wide range of words for different types of love. And what Lewis did was focus on four of them. He focused on four Greek words that would all be translated love in, in English, but each contained a different nuance in the ancient Greek culture that the New Testament was written in uh, that language. And uh, the Greek gives a certain insight that sometimes uh, is missed when it's, when it's only captured by our English words. So let me give a quick overview of the four uh, words for love. The first one is called storge, 
storge love. And in fact, there were four of them, storge, uh, philea, eros, and agape. Storge is what we might think of as natural or instinctual love, especially between a parent and a child or a grandchild and a grandparent. I mean, it's described as the most natural of loves, natural in, in the sense that it's emoted because we, we can't almost help ourselves. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost part of how we're made, how we're created, our instinct. I mean, that's true in the animal world as well. But it's, it's certainly true of a human being as we are made in the image of God, though broken and flawed, still reflect that image. And one of the ways that image is reflected is the love that we, a parent has for their child. And when that love is lacking, something is definitely broken. But this idea of storge love is a, a love that is often associated with um, parents for their, uh, their children. And you know, it, it pays least attention to the person in terms of whether they're worthy of that love or not. In other words, it's just a giving love. C.S. Lewis pointed out that in his broadest sense, we can even feel that way. I know it's, <laughs> it's going to sound, but he said you can even feel that way about a family pet or even some special piece of clothing. Now, I'm not equating a child or a grandchild with a pet or a special piece of clothing, but the point that he was making is that these objects of our love, whether they're our children or grandchildren, something that we just feel a, an absolute deep tie to, uh, a special one in our lives. It's, it, like it, would, it would be odd if we didn't have a, something that wants to give and bless and love them. It just comes so naturally to us. And th that can happen, like I say, with, with uh, a, an, a, an animal or a pet that we've, we've grown attached to. And Lewis stretches it out and says, you know, it can even happen to something that's inanimate as well. But Storge is based a lot, that Storge love is based a lot on familiarity. For example, a person will hold affection and care, think about this, okay, for their family, regardless of whether they are the kind of people the person would be drawn to otherwise. So, <laughs> in other words, we may not hang, hang out with them, but they're our family. So, yeah, we do. And uh, it can go in all, all directions, obviously. But the point is, it, it, it tends to be a little bit less, I'm going to use this word, asymmetrical, in that it, it, it doesn't have parts that, that actually equally correspond. It tends to be an unequal kind of, of love. It's not so much dependent on mutuality. It's, in fact, it's usually more about someone giving more than they are receiving or doing this because it's part of what, what we are, you know, we're family type of thing. But storge love the, is followed up by philea and that kind of love, that word for love in the, in the, in the ancients, uh, in the world of the New Testament, we would call that brotherly love or friendship love. And if you think about it, if, if storge love is a little bit asymmetrical, philea is more symmetrical in the sense that the bonds usually are more equal. Usually we are close friends with someone because there's a mutuality of benefit and commonality. One of those two, maybe both, usually both when it works best. And it's conditional in the sense that we both kind of gain things from it. 
not because we have to, you know, because we're family, but as a product of choice. In fact, Lewis, and I'm going to quote him now from The Four Loves, says that friendship is actually unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It's not really necessary for our survival. It has no survival value, he says. Rather, it's one of those things which give value to survival. What a, what a way of saying it. It has no survival value, but it's one of those things which give value to survival. It's what makes life rich. One of the things that makes life beautiful is friendships and rich relationships. Lewis went on to say that in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting. Any of these chances might have kept us apart, actually. Like, how did we become friends? But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. Whoa. A secret master of ceremonies, Lewis suggests, has been at work. So when it comes to our deep friendships, our close bonds in, that, are, that allow us to share a commonality in Christ, he's pointing out, he think, he's saying that they're divinely orchestrated, which makes them holy and sacred. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another but I have chosen you for one another. That's good. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. No, 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 no. He says, it's actually the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauty of others. So he's, he's taking a Christ-centered friendship into deep waters. Storge love, philea, and then eros. Now everybody's probably familiar with eros, erotic love, romantic, sexual love. It's beautiful, intense, powerful, and usually self-oriented. <laughs> eros is what, by the way, it's the kind of love that our culture is most enamored with. I think that's pretty obvious to us all. It's what it most showcases, it sings about it. It's eros, eros love. You think it was the only definition of love. It's what it makes most of its movies about. Most of the shows we watch, Eros love. It's used as a rationale for justice, tolerance, acceptance, identity formation, Eros love. But actually, Lewis wrote that Eros, he says Eros is actually potentially dangerous. He says Eros honored without reservation and obeyed unconditionally can actually become a demon. Like <clears throat> if it dominates our life, in comparison to the other loves, I mean, it, it can do real damage. In fact, the article that I referred to earlier that was talking about C.S. Lewis's uh, Four Loves, it says, of all the loves, Lewis viewed Eros as having the greatest potential to urge to evil as well as to good. So it can go, it's the most easy kind of love to go in both a constructive and destructive direction. So it's something that, that we need to enjoy, but we need to enjoy within the framework of what God says is healthy and life-giving. Otherwise, when it gets out of control, it actually becomes self-consumed, damaging, and uh, it, can, it, can, it can move us far, farther away from the Lord and um, hurt people, 
right? Objectifies them. Uh, anyway, and then the fourth one. So we have storge, philea, we have eros, and then we have the word that is most often used in the New Testament for love, agape, agape love. I mean, it's the Greek word for love that is used all throughout 1 Corinthians 13 that we're going to be sitting with. And I'm so looking forward to talking about the qualities of love, the things that love does and doesn't do in the coming weeks. But, but you, you could, every time that love is mentioned in that love chapter, you could substitute the word agape and it would just be a, exactly what it was meant to be. Because another way of thinking about agape love is, is as giving love. You know, and God, of course, he is the, <laughs> he's the ultimate giver, isn't he? He gives us love. God is love. He's many other things too, but he's love. He's holy, but he's love. Holy love. Hmm. Fully loving, but so holy. And out of, out of his love and out of his holy, holiness, out of his divine justice and his divine kindness and mercy, he gave us Jesus. It's the expression. Think about this. God is the ultimate giver. He gives us his love like the sun shines. He gave us Jesus. And then Jesus gave us his life for us. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. We're talking about Jesus. And Jesus chose to give himself for us. It, Lewis went on to say this, that in God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled. There's only plenteousness that desires to give. How beautiful is that? So for us, there's some, some important things to remember, isn't there? One, and I am speaking right now to those who are followers of Jesus. I'm not trying to exclude anybody else who might be listening right now. I want you to become a follower of Jesus. It's my yearning and desire to see that happen. It's part of the reason why our church exists is to see people become committed followers, disciples of Jesus, apprentices of the master who shows us the way. But our goal as followers of Jesus is not to focus, listen, on doing loving things, but to become the kind of person who naturally does them. That goes back to what we were talking about. It's, it's not to focus on doing loving things. That's not the goal but to become the kind of person who naturally does them. Like this is my way of being, my dominant way of being. And two, we do this by becoming more like Jesus and having more of him at work in us. But three, this doesn't just happen, does it? It happens as a product, at least in part of me dying to myself to use the words of Jesus, to take up the cross daily and follow him. As I die to myself, more of him can live in me. So his love and life fills us. We empty ourselves, so to speak, so we can be filled. Back to Willard, what we opened with. In the deepest sense, love is not something you choose to do. It's what you become. In the deepest sense, love is not something you choose to do. It's what you become. You become a loving person. Like this is who I am. So organically, these are the qualities that show up in our lives. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be examining our lives 
and seeking to be more familiar with these qualities. And we're going to talk about all the qualities, but the, but the key is it's what happens inside of me that allows these things to naturally flow out of me. And that is going to be connected to having more of Jesus at work in our lives. And so this is the fourth thought here, the fourth point, which is having more of him at work in us is improved by daily practice and intention. So that when we say to the Lord, give us this day, our daily bread. I mean, is that not how he taught us to pray? We need to do that more. Give us this day, our daily bread, Lord. All right. That's why things like devotions and scripture reading and prayer and, and, and rituals and rhythms are so important. Practicing disciplines of giving and serving and sharing the good news joyfully coming together with others in, in church and in small groups. When these, when these things are implemented with devotion, sincerity, and intention, they make us more like him. That's what tends to happen. That's what usually happens. And when we become more like him, we start to love more like him. When I become more like him, I start to love more like him. It's just natural. It's unforced. If we, in what, all right. And, and again, we're going to ponder those things in the, in the coming weeks as we sit with 1 Corinthians 13 and what healthy love looks like. But here's another, we'll call it the fifth piece. Having more of him at work in us is improved by engaging in Christian community as a habit of our life. I alluded to this earlier. There's no substitute for it. You know, habits... You know, Jesus had a habit, a custom of coming to the synagogue. He, he modeled the rhythm of it. I often talk about the one in seven and the value of having a custom of being attentive to the Lord in a communal way on the seventh of our days, uh, if, if, you were, if I can put it that way. The, that we're really taking time to make him an even greater priority. We start every day, the one with him, but we also honor him on that seventh day in communal worship. It's a very important piece. And I don't want to minimize how meaningful it is. And you've often heard me talk about the one in the, the daily, the one, the one in seven, having time for church as a priority, a, a community gathering that we are worshiping with others and honoring Jesus in service together. And, and then I often talk about the one in 10, which is the giving of the tithe and the offering and, and how that becomes a centerpiece cornerstone of our life to honor the Lord with a 10th. It's something that I really encourage every believer to do. I do this. I've been doing it since I was a teenager. And I think about the power of habits. You know, <laughs> we talk about the deleterious effects of bad habits, like the damage bad habits can do. And it's so amazing how quickly we can drop into a bad habit or reacquire a bad habit or pick a bad habit back up. I, I get that. It's easy to do. But good habits, though, a little harder to establish in our lives. Uh, boy, they can be life-saving. You know, I have a saying that I will periodically mention and it I'll remind myself of it talk about it sometimes when I'm engaging others in conversation about the value of good habits and I'm talking about good habits but I'll say feelings betray habits save 
Feelings betray us, habits save us. Feelings betray us, good habits save us. So with that in mind, I really do think that the Lord is trying to work some things into us and some things out of us. But at the core, he wants us to become a person immersed in Christ so that what flows out of us looks a lot more like Christ, a lot more loving Lord. That's what we want. So anyway, um, I want to pray in a moment here, and then I'll hand us off to our closing song, which I hope we can enjoy together. And then I'll come back with a benediction. But I do want to remind all of you that I get to do this right now. Gets remind all of you about your tithes and your offerings, your giving, and how it can make a huge difference for all the things that God's calling us to do, and also in your own life as a way of honoring Jesus, as a habit of your life. It means something, both symbolically and I believe there's a spiritual blessing attached to it, that God will make more from less as we obey Him. Remember, when it comes to your giving and your tithes and your offerings, you can send those into our offices. You can give directly through our online uh, options. You can go through our app. That's what I do. But like I say before, and that's the Cornerstone SF app. If you haven't downloaded it, consider doing that. It's also where we send our rise and shines on as well and notifications in general. But like I always say, first give the Lord your heart. So with that in mind, got another thought to share at the end and a blessing to send your way. But let's share this song together. And Lord, I just Thank you for all that you've done, all that you've spoken to us. And I ask that you would uh, continue to allow some of the things that we've been pondering here um, make their way, way more deeply into our heart. We're so loved. We're so loved. Thank you for your love. May we have more of you in our lives so that your love can flow beautifully and increasingly out of our life. Yeah, that's, that's our prayer. So we share this time together in the beauty of song and worship. We ask in your name, amen. without 
desires and dreams I laid down Here at your feet my desires and dreams I laid down If more of you means less of me You know, God's love is so amazing, so beautiful. I talked about how God is love. 
talked about how he gave his son as living proof. And then how Jesus gave us himself. And when we really get a comprehension of his love that's thriving and alive in our heart, it will compel us not only to be grateful, but, want, but to want to give him back our life. That we too will feel a deep desire to want to live a life of love. And remember that life of love is not the goal. The goal is to get close to Jesus so that the life of love flows naturally out of us. So Lord, we want to get closer to you. May the Savior be your best friend. May he be your guide. May the Comforter come, the Holy Spirit, and help you when you need it most. Maybe sometimes we don't always feel that we are lovable or we feel like we failed or we feel ashamed. He loves us still. He loves you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And I mean, you got to work really, really hard to get away from the Lord. <laughs> it's like, because he just, his love, he just keeps at us, doesn't it? And he keeps calling us to the deeper places. So my prayer for you, loved one, is to walk in his love so that his love may flow out and into others and affect our world, your world. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.